Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When you come to Jesus with your troubles, whatever they might be, you're coming to someone who knows by experience what trouble is. You're coming to that person who has the ability to fully sympathize with all of our weaknesses. So this is intended to bring us a a tremendous amount of comfort. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, in a message titled, Why God Took on Flesh and Blood. Now, here's Pastor Brian. God can't die. God's eternal. But there has to be a death in order for sin and the devil to be overthrown. So how is this going to happen? Men can't die for this because men are guilty sinners. Angels can't die for this because angels are angels. They're not not related in that sense. So there has to be someone who has this connection with both God and man in order to do it. And man, remember, is created in the image of God. You know, angels are not created in the image of God. There's nowhere in the Bible that says angels are created in the image of God. It says men are created in the image of God. We only are created in God's image. So there's this already existing link between God and man that is uh, unique. And so now, in order for sin and the devil to be dealt with, God has to die. He can't die. What does he do? He partakes of flesh and blood in order that he might die. And that through dying, he would destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. I was talking to somebody after last service and just in the conversation, he used this term and it was good. And I grabbed onto it and I said, yeah, that's the exact right term. He mentioned the fact that in doing things the way God did them, in sending Jesus to beat the devil by dying, he beat him at his own game. Because this was how the devil, this was his thing, death. Now, when it says that the devil had the power of death, we have to understand that the devil did not possess control over death inherently. So this wasn't always the case. This became the case because of his seduction of mankind into rebellion against God. So when man rebelled against God and sin entered in and man really in rebellion against God yielded himself to Satan, the the great rebel, this is how Satan gained the power of death. So death is held by the devil in a secondary and not in an ultimate sense. But the reason the devil has power over death is because of sin. So if sin can be dealt with, then that power can be broken. The Puritan writer, John Owens, he put it this way. He said, all Satan's power over death was founded on sin. The obligation of the sinner to death gave Satan his power. The sinner is obligated to die. 
That's the way it is. By one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so, as he said, the obligation of the sinner to death gave Satan his power. If this obligation was removed, Satan's power would also be taken away. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus destroyed the power of the devil over his control over men through death by dying, but he dies sinlessly. So the devil has no hold on him. So he breaks the power of the devil. It, I think this is really beautifully illustrated by C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Anybody read that book or maybe you saw the movie? There's a part there where Lewis really captures this, this whole idea here. And just for those of you who don't know, or maybe those of you who need your memory refreshed, you have these different characters in the, in the series. You have Aslan. Aslan is the king. He's the ruler of Narnia. He's Jesus. Uh, Lewis was writing all of this as a, a spiritual allegory. So Aslan is Jesus. You've got the white witch, who's obviously the devil. And uh, there's a certain point, maybe you remember, where Aslan is actually slain by the white witch. And he's slain because he gives up his, he puts himself in the place of Edmund, who had sinned and created all the problems. So anyway, Aslan, he allows the white witch to slay him, and then he resurrects. And he's slain on, on what's called the stone table. And at his resurrection, the stone table is broken. So let me pick up in the, the actual story itself. Aslan is speaking. He says, the witch knew the deep magic. There is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she had looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. That is such a beautiful picture of everything that we're talking about here. That's exactly it. Jesus is the innocent victim the willing, innocent victim who has committed no sin. He committed no treachery. And so the table represents the law. The law is what we violate, and it's our violations of the law that put us under the death sentence. And those violations of the law are called sins. So it's sin. So what happened when Jesus died, just like with Aslan here, because he had committed no treachery, the table, the law is then no longer effective. It's nullified. The table is cracked. And what happens, he puts it this way, death itself would start to work backwards. Jesus conquered death. He destroyed death. He beat the devil at his own game. He came and he died. And when he died, the devil thought, I won. I got him, just like everyone else. But he didn't have him because he couldn't hold him. 
death, death could not hold Jesus. Jesus rose again, and in doing so, he conquered the devil. He destroyed the one who had the power of death. And secondly, he released those who through fear of death lived their entire life subject to bondage. This is the great fear of all humanity, always has been. It's the fear of death. It's like Woody Allen said many years ago, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> but the reality is we're, we're all afraid to die. No, nobody wants to die. And now I, I'm saying that to a group of people who believe in Jesus. So with us, there, there should be something different about that. But let's just take Jesus out of the equation for a moment and put ourselves out there just in the, the masses of humanity. Everybody's afraid to die. A lot of people will never admit it, but that's the reality. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to hear about it. This is the great dread. This is the great fear that man lives with. One writer put it this way. He said, death cast a shadow over the entirety of life, hovering like a ghost over every dimension of existence. That is what death is like. It just hovers over every dimension of existence. He went on to say, he said, death means that human beings do not reign, but are ruled over by a foreign power, for they fear their eventual demise that comes inexorably upon them. In every moment of happiness, death is our dark shadow, reminding us that our joy is short-lived. It's so true. It's so true about life. There's always that, that lingering shadow. And of course, we, we all try to keep that as far back uh, in our minds as we can. We don't, we don't like that to come to the surface, do we? We want to keep that idea as far away. But inevitably, we're touched by it. Inevitably, we hear about it. There's millions of families all over the world today touched by death. It's inescapable. And as a result of that, man lives in the dread of death, lives in the fear of death. But Jesus came, and because of what he did, he releases those who have lived their lives in bondage to the fear of death. So for those who know Jesus, for those who believe in him, we know that Jesus conquered death. And so the Bible now refers to it as the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. The Bible refers to it as sleeping you know, what's so bad about sleeping? Sleeping's actually really a good thing, isn't it? I love to fall asleep. <laughs> There's a point. You ever think about sleep? There's two things I marvel at. I marvel at water and sleep. I just think, you know, water is this amazing thing. You can do a thousand different things with it, and you can drink it, and it satisfies you. It's crazy. You could wash anything with it. You know, all these things you can do with water. But then sleep. Man, sleep is such, isn't it? Think about sleep. You go to sleep at night. You don't know what's going on. There you are. You're just, you're gone. You're out. And, and everything keeps going. Everything keeps working. Your heart keeps beating. Your, all your vitals keep functioning. You know, all of that. And then you, then you wake up and you're refreshed. I think, wow, God, this is just one of those amazing things you created. Well, the Bible says for the believer, that's what death is like. Death is like sleep. But... For the believer, death is like going to sleep 
at the end of a really bad day and waking up to a perfect day. That's the, that's the beautiful thing that happens there. So Jesus is the one who sets us free from this. He's the one who sets people free. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not grief on the part of people who even believe in Jesus, whose loved ones pass on before them. There's the grief is, I'm, I'm gonna miss this person, but the, the reality that comes into comfort is that we're gonna be together again. And we're never gonna be separated again. So this is what Jesus did. This is why God took on flesh and blood. He took on flesh and blood so he could destroy death. He could destroy the devil who had the power of death. He could liberate men from bondage to the fear of death. But that's not the only thing. He also took on that flesh and blood as we've already kind of talked about. But let's just go into a little more detail and finalize his point here. He also did it so that he might give aid to us. Not to angels, he says in verse 16. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. Why? That he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest. He became a man also, to have the human experience so that when he meets us where we're at, he really meets us where we're at, having been there himself. Jesus wasn't partially human. He wasn't mainly human. Jesus was fully human. And so right in these first two chapters, you have these two great incomprehensible doctrines. You have the doctrine that Jesus is God the Son, let me make that clear. He's God the Son. Somebody asked me earlier, well, if Jesus is God, then how is it, you know, when, how does he pray to his Father in heaven? Well, this is where the doctrine of the Trinity is vital. Jesus is not God the Father. He's God the Son. But they're equal, but they're distinct. So Jesus, he is God fully, but he's also fully human. Jesus is fully human. The only element that distinguishes us from Jesus in the human sense is sin. Jesus is fully human with the exception of sin. And sin isn't natural to human beings because the first human beings were created without sin. Sin came afterwards. So Jesus is like Adam and Eve were before they sinned. So he's a fully human person and yet he's without sin. Again, this uh, same writer I quoted earlier, he said, Jesus' solidarity with human beings was not superficial, but profound and genuine. Like us, he shares flesh and blood, and he identifies with us and takes on the same nature, even yielding up his life in death. He was beset with weaknesses and mortality that characterizes human existence. He went through the full human experience. He really became a human being. Why? So he could be a merciful and a faithful high priest in the things that pertain to God. Why high priest? What is he talking about here? The picture is the mediator. The high priest was the one to mediate. He was the one to offer the sacrifice to God. He was the one to represent the people to God. That's what Jesus does. 
but he does it as a merciful and a faithful high priest. When he's mediating for us, he's mediating from our position. You see, that's the thing. He fully identifies with us. You know, people today often in their ranting against God, you hear this a lot from the atheist, if there's a God, then how would he allow for suffering? And how could he allow for these kinds of horrific atrocities to happen and all of the misery that people have suffered? And they, you know, they go on and on about that. And um, you know, we don't know exactly why God allows some of those things, but this is what we know and we can never forget and we need to remind them of. God didn't exempt himself from any of it. The God who allowed it allowed it to happen to himself. He created the world, yes, knowing that it was going to be filled with sin and misery and suffering, but he didn't exempt himself from it. He actually came into it. And he suffered like no one ever suffered because we suffer for our own sins. Occasionally we suffer as a result of the sins of somebody else and you know they, they do something to us that harms us or whatever. Uh, Jesus suffered for everyone's sin. He bore the sin of the entire human family from start to finish. So you want to talk about suffering. Let's talk about Jesus. Nobody knows suffering like Jesus knows suffering. Nobody could ever know in any way the kind of suffering that Jesus endured. It wouldn't be possible. It was because of the union between humanity and divinity that he was able to suffer to that extent. But because he suffered, he is a merciful and a faithful high priest and that he, having suffered, is able to aid those who are tempted or tested. And here's the great news that we need to remember. When you come to Jesus with your troubles, whatever they might be, you're coming to someone who knows by experience what trouble is. You're coming to that person who has the ability to fully sympathize with all of our weaknesses because he himself was beset with these very things. So this is... this is intended to bring us a, a tremendous amount of comfort to know that, that, that God gets it. He understands it. Sometimes you will be greatly disappointed because you, you find that in your suffering, no one understands. No one can relate. You, you talk to people and you, you find, you know, you walk away and you say, you know, I know they meant well, but they just, they just don't get it. They don't get it. They can't get it. And they probably can't. But Jesus can. He gets it. And there's nothing that you can bring to him that he doesn't get. There's nothing that you can bring to him that he would say, no, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't relate to that. There's no suffering that you could go through that he cannot identify with you right where you're at in that. And so he is a merciful high priest. When we come to him, he's a merciful high priest. Remember, the priest did two things. He offered sacrifice for sin and he mediated. 
So when we come to him with our sin, guess what? He can forgive it. He makes propitiation for the sin. He appeases the, the wrath of God against that sin. Whatever sin it might be, doesn't matter what sin it is. When you come to him with that sin, he's a merciful high priest. He says, yes, the sacrifice is sufficient for that sin. Whatever it is, however many times it's been, it's a sufficient sacrifice. But then there's also not only the, the sacrifice for sin, that's there, but there's also the, the grace and the mercy and the compassion to, to move us forward beyond our sin and into the blessing that God has for us. And even if it's not a sin issue that we come to him with, but we come to him with a suffering issue, we come to one who has suffered, one who sympathizes with us, and one who promises to give us grace and strength to make our way through the season of suffering. So in closing, you see, the author wants his readers to know how wonderful the Savior is. You don't want to go back to that old system. None of this is there. Back into that old system, that's the law. There's guilt, condemnation, there's death. But no, under the, under the new covenant, there's life because Christ conquered death. And back under the Old Testament system, there's, there's no high priest there that can help you. The high priest is as bad off as you are. He can't do anything. But now we have a, this great high priest. And so for us today and for any who are suffering, suffering because of sin, we can come to him and he forgives our sin. We're suffering because of just the challenges and difficulties and tragedies of life. He's there to meet us. He gives aid to the seed of Abraham. One last thing. Why does he say the seed of Abraham here? How did Abraham get in the picture? He says the seed of Abraham instead of, you would think at this point he might talk more about Adam because he's kind of had us back there in the beginning with the beginning of history. But he says Abraham for a specific reason, and it's because it's through Abraham that Christ came. And as we put our faith in Christ, we become the seed of Abraham. So these promises are to those who are uh, believers in Christ. All of these things are for those who, like Abraham, believed. And when we believe like Abraham did, we become, uh, the Bible identifies us as his seed. So these promises are for God's people. These great truths are for God's people. And if you're not of the seed of Abraham today, in other words, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ personally, then these things are true, but they, they're, they're not accessible to you. They're truths that are out there, but you're, you're cut off from them. The way to enter into these truths and to experience them for yourself, which is the important thing, is that you also likewise put your faith in Christ. You become part of the seed of Abraham, and then you become among those who God aids in these troubles and difficulties and the realities of life.
For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which He loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.